1: I actually don't know if it's possible to fumble a bigger bag.
0: God, I hope she has a good therapist.
1: What's up, guys? Welcome back to Watch Time. You are here with my brother, business partner, YouTube extraordinaire, Muse Elk. I'm Grace. I run click management, our business together. And today we are back. And we've got a lot of really exciting things to talk about. I'm kind of pumped for this episode. We're it's, talking
0: about... It's good to be here, but you know where it would be better to be. Oh. See how... What a segue. What a segue into topic Dude. one. We've got a lot Can of you- cool things to talk about. Caller Daddy and... Uh, Trisha Paytas. And Trisha Paytas and a bunch of crazy drama that's gone down. But that segue was leading us into where we'd normally be this time oh. of the year, which would be in LA. Guys. E3.
1: Devastating. E3 if you don't know, was this like big convention that was put on every year in June. I mean, it's digital, but it's really just not the same. We would go every year in June. It was so fun because it's like starting to get cold in Australia. We'd fly over to LA. It's like the middle of summer. It was a massive gaming convention. To be honest, my best memories of E3 actually have not occurred at the convention
0: at all. (laughs) So the last year I went, I was in the convention hall for, I think, a total of an hour and a half. And that was for a sponsor. I I think I quickly ran in to check out Cyber punk and then I was like, okay, I'm out of here.
1: Most of the time it was just this incredible week where, you know, we're really lucky that we have lots of friends and creator friends and that sort of thing from all around the world, from the US, from the UK, Canada, whatever. You could just count on everyone to be in this one place for this one week every year. And it's so fun because like everyone's usually working really hard. And then this week it's just like, Back to back to back.
0: They're in this one place and they're ready to party.
1: Everyone's staying in the same hotel. Yeah. Usually like so. It's just fun.
0: kind of like a mini holiday with all your best friends in a place that is constantly throwing the craziest parties you've ever seen every single night. All the drinks are free. Also, there's video games. So it's kind of like the dream. <laughs> it's like, it's kind of the best thing you can ever do. What would um, you
1: say if you had to talk about what, what, what are your memories from your first E3 experience? And I can tell you
0: mine. My memories from my first E3, I think my most vivid memory is just going to the Xbox conference, which is literally where they hire out an entire stadium, like a stadium where you would normally have like a football game. Yeah. They enclose the entire thing and it's just like an experience where they're just blasting like trailers and reveals and new consoles at you for three or four hours.
1: My first memory of E3 You know, I went for the first time probably two or three years after you. You'd definitely been to a couple before me, but I remember you were really excited to show me and it was right around like a couple months maybe right after we started Click and I was still pretty new to the whole world, the whole gaming world. I'd been to LA before, but like this was something really different. And I remember being there or like seeing the – my first memories actually are of the convention centre. I feel like I just came home from that trip and I suddenly had this like – such a bigger picture of mm. what the gaming world was. And yeah. I remember coming home and just feeling like, holy crap, like this is it. Like, Makes you realise it's like thing. an
0: industry and not just a few kids in Yeah, yeah. and I yeah. think
1: like, you know, for you guys listening, obviously you're all in it, you get it. But like for us, it, and definitely in Australia, not a lot of people get gaming as much. Like still a lot of the time you know, when people ask what we do, they think it's really niche. They think it's really like a little bit left of center. They don't totally get it. And I remember just To be honest, just, like, it kind of
0: is a little bit left of center, but It is, ahead. for sure. <laughs> but
1: I remember going, going on those trips and like, I just spent a week doing all these meetings and mm. meeting all these people and like seeing everything. And no one thought it was weird. Like people thought what we were doing were cool. They got it. You didn't have to have that conversation about like, well, this is gaming. And yes, people upload videos of themselves on YouTube. And yeah. like, and I just remember being like, holy crap, like My there people. is a really big- world out there of people that get this yeah I don't know it was just like the most exciting thing they're like my initial memories and and honestly I got that feeling every time I came home from E3 and I'm like sad we can't share it with the rest of the team who like haven't been able to go I know
0: I so wanted to take the company like I, I want to get everyone and put them on a plane and go to E3 and just have like the best week yeah I can't wait I'm really hoping we get to do that next year
1: what's like a funny or like a best memory of E3
0: a funny or a best I mean like look I I just think the whole concept of E3 is hilarious like the way oh I mean one of my favourite memories actually was when we were revealing Battlefield 1 Mm -hmm. and the way they did the world first gameplay reveal they got like a bunch of YouTubers and a bunch of mainstream celebrities they literally live streamed they're like and for the gameplay reveal for the world first, like, uncut gameplay that wasn't Mm -hmm. a gameplay trailer, here are all these people playing a round of one of the maps. Um, I think it was called St. Quentin Scar. Basically, a bunch of YouTubers, a bunch of actual celebrities, and we were paired up with one each. And I wasn't paired with him, but he was on the uh, console next to me, um, like, literally next door. Um, Like, and by next door, I mean, like, 30 centimeters away before social distancing was uh, Snoop Dogg. And he (laughs) did not give a fuck at all. He was literally sitting there playing and they would cut to his gameplay feed and he was playing with one hand on the controller because he just didn't care and was smoking a joint with the other hand. Beyond like individual stories, I just think the whole concept of E3 is hilarious because it always goes through these cycles and it's done it two or three times now. And it was about to hit the end of the next cycle when Corona happened, literally before coronavirus um, struck there was already talks of E3 that year being put off or at least hugely shrunk down Mm. because all of a sudden all the developers were going off and hosting their own mini conferences around E3. Like, that's what EA did. Mm -hmm. But basically, how it always starts, it's done this cycle a couple of times now, and this is basically the third, was they were like, okay, guys, we're going to put on an industry show. Everyone come and like show your stuff and we'll all do it at this date. All the developers come along, you know, they put up a little booth, they show the trailers, and everyone's like walking through the hall like, oh, wow, that looks great. And then one company eyes off another company. They're like, those sons of bitches took our foot traffic. We want those people in our booth. Like, how do we do that? They're like, and then World of Tanks is like, Let's get a real tank and let's put it at the front of our booth. They're like, okay, hell yeah, hell yeah. So next year they spent half a million dollars to fly a literal tank into the convention center. And then the other places looking at them, they're like, those sons of bitches got a tank. we got to take it up a level. Let's have an open bar. World of Tanks is looking back. They're like, those sons of bitches put an open bar in there. We're losing foot traffic again. How do we do it more? And then they're like, okay, we're going to have an open bar and we're going to get a bunch of models and we're going to have them in bikinis and we're going to sit them on top of the tank. And now we've got an open bar, we've got a tank and we've got hot girls. And then literally this is what happens every single time. E3 starts relatively chill on one year and the next year a company raises it and then it raises it and then it raises it and raises it and raises it until all of a sudden you have people building literal giant custom 1920s saloons with open bars, live bands, (laughs) fortune tellers, fully like custom built things that exist for two days, cost them $10 million and get a few thousand people through them. Yeah, so their cost per head make sense. is like $400. The
1: math does not work out.
0: So it basically everyone tries to one-up each other until it reaches a point after a few years where everyone's like, this is completely insane. This yeah. is like, what are we doing? Like we're spending our entire marketing budget on this event and it just doesn't make sense. And then everyone is like, okay, no, we we can't do E3. We're gonna host like an online conference. And then that's when the whole event collapses. And then E3 comes back a couple of years later, like, All right, guys, we're like, come on, let's do it again. We'll be chill this time. We'll be chill. And then it goes up again. And then that's the cycle that E3 always seems to repeat.
1: It is a bloody fun week, though. I love that we're like, yeah, we didn't even go to the convention, but then we spend like 10 minutes talking about how cool the convention is. Well, let
0: me tell you about the parties. Yeah, give us a story. <laughs> well, I don't know. I actually don't know if I've got any like, oh, I've definitely got, I've definitely got some stories, but um, they're not, ones that I could publicly out people for on a podcast. Mm. One of them involves a mutual friend of ours and someone who oh, yes. is now perma band from Twitch. There's there's a, lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of great stories there. But anyway, another time, another time when I maybe had a couple oh, of drinks before the podcast. I would love to
1: go on another big trip.
0: Yeah, hopefully soon.
1: Maybe we should do a drunk podcast one time.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and then we're gonna have to listen to it sober and make sure we didn't say anything that we weren't supposed to.
1: <laughs> um, all right, did you see the news about call her daddy?
0: I did, and I, oh
1: my god, that's you have a lot of feelings.
0: So let me let me yeah, backtrack up. for a
1: second. Obviously, if you've been listening to Watch Time for a while now, you would know that Elliot and I covered this story. What was the beginnings of this story in a fair bit of depth about this time last year. Call Her Daddy is one of the most successful podcasts in the world. I think it ranked top, most, top five most listened to podcasts in the US um, last year. It's definitely like one of the top comedy podcasts. Hard to understate how massive it is. It was started by two girls and it was very quickly picked up by Barstool Sports. Barstool bought Literally, the Literally, I think to the even podcast. before the
0: first episode was live.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It was like a concept that Barstool Sports picked up and they said, hey, we'll pay you girls a, a salary. salary and you'll produce it under Barstool Sports. And yeah. they said, great.
1: And, and the girls said, great. They weren't being paid before. Suddenly they're getting paid, you know, a, a relatively good salary for someone that has no backtrack backtrack record in podcasting. And the podcast quickly blew up under the Barstool Sports Network. It is far and above Barstool's most successful podcast and most successful asset that they've ever owned. About a year ago, that all came to a head when the two girls decided that maybe, hang on, they didn't want to be part of Barstool anymore and they could be making more off the podcast if they were just doing it independently and taking the sponsorship revenue rather than taking the salary that was being provided by Barstool. Now, We went into depth in this a huge amount. We went back and forth around the way that we think about this. Obviously, at the time for Barstool, that's kind of the risk you take. If you want to get signed up under a network and get paid a salary, the the, the network is losing money on that substantially. For a long time and that's the risk they take and that's the risk they take and that's the risk you take.
0: But long story short, it all boiled down to a situation where the girls went to Barstool and they said, we want to leave. Barstool said, well, good luck with that because we own the entire brand, the podcast and your lives. Mm -hmm. Barstool did actually come back, made them a very fair offer, which resulted in a lot more money for them and actually would end up giving them the rights to the podcast to walk away with in a year's time. Mm -hmm. One of the girls said, you know what? Actually, while it might not be everything we want, that is a fair deal and I'm going to take it. Because yeah. I understand that I signed into a contract initially, Alex Cooper. and Alex Cooper, and she said, "You know, what? that's a fair deal. I'm going to take it." One of the other girls uh, basically threw a huge tantrum. Basically, effectively, was like, "I'm, I'm out." Not, I'm out. But oh, but I think but at the she end wanted to there, come back. but but at the end there, it was kind of like a am out." And she thought that they were going to, you know, kind of bend and be like, "Okay, no, you can have the podcast." But no, she was like, "I'm out." And then her friend was like, I'm "All in. right, well, like, I'm I'm in." Like, this is good. And then Barcel was like, okay. Like, Dave Portnoy was like, all right, I'm going to sign this with you. And your friend is gone because she doesn't play ball. Yeah. Her friend was like, okay, I'm down. So basically, that friend has now continued running the podcast Alex. over the last year. Mm-hmm. Gotten paid a relatively good salary. A while banging
1: salary, I think. banging
0: salary. While her other friend... Has... Started uh,
1: another podcast. I don't know. I don't think it's gone particularly well. Not nearly no. to the level of what um, of Call of Her, her Daddy, Daddy has. This has recently come to a second head where Alex, as announced yesterday, has departed Barstool Sports with the Call Her Daddy IP. So she's able to continue to call her podcast Call Her Daddy and has signed an exclusive deal with Spotify for three years, for $60 million. Oh, US, I have goosebumps. USD.
0: <laughs> USD. That good currency.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have goosebumps. Yeah, This is incredible for, for, for a number of reasons. I mean, first of all, I have to say I fucking love to see it. I love, I love it as well. to see it. I love seeing creators be Really well valued. I love seeing Spotify put that value there. I love seeing female creators be up there with the best in the world. Less than a year ago, they signed Joe Rogan for 100 mil. This easily makes her the top female earning podcaster in the world, if not one of the top earning podcasters, top five for sure. I I absolutely love this news, but I think there is a fair bit to unpack here. Firstly, And Elliot, you know, his initial reaction My initial reaction was- How do you feel if you're the other girl? And Elliot, tell me how you feel.
0: Oh, my God. Wait, what's her name again? Sophia Franklin. That's how irrelevant you are now, Sophia. You shouldn't have walked away. You'd have 60 million and I might know your name. (laughs) (laughs) Sophia, oh, my God. Imagine knowing that a hot-headed decision that you made a year ago because you thought you had more power than you did and you were trying to be stubborn means- that you're missing out on 60 million.
1: I feel a bit like, sick. I actually feel a little bit ill for at, her.
0: You know what's crazy? I'm sure it's like 60 million exclusively signed to Spotify. There's gonna be so much other revenue this girl oh, yeah. will make as well. We She'll probably make a 100 over the next three years. Easy. Oh, yeah. they're so, selling,
1: I, I guarantee you they're selling sponsorships on that podcast oh, for at least 150 grand a pop.
0: 100, 100%, 100%. So imagine.
1: That's every time you hear an ad on that podcast. Imagine you're Sophia 100.
0: and you have to wake up every morning for the rest of your life, knowing that you could have had part of that hundred million, you could have had $50 million. And don't get me wrong. I'm sure when she goes outside and gets into a Mercedes, cause she's making a very fine salary, she will still be living a great life. That Mercedes could be a Ferrari, could, could be, be a McLaren, Lambo. could be a Lambo. And you know, when you go home to your beautiful four bedroom house, could be a Ted bedroom mansion, could be in the Hills. Could just be that a little bit better, and she is obviously (laughs) there's more to
1: life than getting a nice car. Is
0: there though? But you know what? I think there is, but I don't think that girl thinks there is because the whole thing that got her into this mess was her obsession with like wanting to immediate. It was that greed. It was Hmm. that I need to make. I want to make the most money in Canada. I want to make it right now. No patience. Hmm. Whereas, um, the other girl was like, no, you know what? I Really, like, I, I do think that we should have the ability to take this thing privately, but also I can understand that we can't just fully rip up a contract mm-hmm. that we willingly signed and signed under totally fair, fair circumstances. Yep. and I'm willing to wait for that. She waited, and she got a bag.
1: She got the bag and a large. And bag And Sophia fumbled the bag. I fumbled. actually don't know if it's possible to fumble a bigger bag. God,
0: I hope she has a good therapist.
1: Yeah, I, I think it could be quite traumatic.
0: I actually, I actually think it would be. Like, I genuinely, I genuinely, and this is actually a serious comment as much as the other stuff was, I genuinely hope she's okay because I could imagine that would take a actual serious mental toll. Yeah. Like, I would, I, I'm picturing myself in that situation. I would very much struggle to cope.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, I think anyone would struggle to cope knowing that. It's
1: it's obscene. Like, it's, $60 million, it's more than you can. Yeah. It's It's completely obscene. Yeah. Crazy. Now let's unpack another part of this. How do you feel if you're Barstool? And and a couple people from Barstool have started to comment on this. Eric and Nardini's taken the play of we're so happy for her. I mean, I, I- think like on one hand. Barstool just can't compete with Spotify money. Barstool's big. They're not going to pay her 60 mil bit. Yeah,
0: but Barstool has to make logical business decisions because they're, you know, they're big, but they're not Spotify big. Spotify doesn't have to make logical business decisions. They're playing for a 10-year end game of controlling the podcast market and they're happy to go 30 million into the Mm -hmm. wrong direction if that means that in the end they come out ahead. Like they're not going to make that much revenue from this podcast. Mm. I don't think they will. I, I mean, look, I, I think if I was Barstool, it, it, they were in a really, really tough spot. Yeah. Because I think if they had gone back to the girls and said, screw you, you're never going to have the IP, we're keeping it forever. You know what? That probably would have reached an impasse. And the girls would have said, okay, well, both of them probably would have said, okay, well, we are going to leave and start our own one. At which point, Barstool loses. I think Dave Portnoy came up with the best solution, which was giving it to them in time. Uh, and And look, at the end of the day, I don't think you could be too sad. I think if your bastel sports think if this podcast just sold for 60 million, if you were making 150 to 300 grand probably in their prime on an integration, you've made a lot of money from this podcast. Mm. You cannot ultimately see that as a bad outcome. But obviously at the same time, fully understand them being a little bit sad about the situation
1: <laughs> i was just looking to see if dave portnoy had done any tweets in the last couple of hours but he hasn't um i mean that hurts it's gotta hurt it's it's your biggest earning asset mm. they probably knew the writing was on the wall for a long yeah. time
0: they could have planned ahead for it. They would have absolutely milked it as much as they could for the last little bit. And at the end of the day, it's a big success story for the business, whether or not it yeah. lasted forever. And just and this is the thing. God, this is the hardest thing about running businesses like um, like Barstool that where you're kind of producing content. And I don't fully – I mean, I do understand why it works. But like TV shows have this huge advantage where you're producing a TV show – and you can have a key talent. The key talent can't walk away with your TV show because there's so many elements of production. Mm. There's huge production costs. There's normally set. And the fact is, you actually need to have that show housed on a network, network mm-hmm. versus, and you know, you do see it happen with some huge celebrities over in the US where, you know, there may be like a, like Top Gear, for example, mm. going to Amazon. If you're a company that's working to create content in the digital online space. Yeah. The creator ultimately, at the end of the day, can kind of look at it and be like, even if they're on a great salary, if if they're on a million dollars a year and the show's making 10, yeah. Call Your Daddy's a great example. They're like, dude, we literally just grab the two microphones from the room and this little recording USB thing, and we just fucking wander back to our apartment and do it there. Yeah. like There is no barrier to yeah. the creator walking away from the Production house, because the production house, don't get me wrong, as much as their creative input is essential and the marketing and all the other planning they do around mm. it, is huge. Um, with something as basic as a podcast, God, like once you start reaching that dumb money, it, and like if you don't have a percentage cut of the overall revenue, if it's a model where the production house is just flat up taking 100% of the revenue and salarying you, you're going to walk away. It yeah. has to, I think, I think in the future, those projects. If if they want to be, um, you know, functional, it always has to give percentage revenue to the creator, and yeah. honestly, probably a pretty generous amount, like more than as a business you would want but it's the only it's way to really, keep people happy.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the industry is kind of at an interesting point right now because previously there wasn't even any need for these sort of internet media networks like Barstool and people could just do it really independently. Now there is mm. a need. People are doing high production stuff. Yep. There's way more of a sales function that's part of it. Yeah. Like Barstool's sales team is massive yep. that's selling sponsorships and that sort of thing. People can't do that independently. No. But if they've built a podcast to a point where it's earning that much money, well then what? It's when, to say? It's really Really, it's, it's, I, I, it's I when actually the disparity, don't see the clear solution.
0: Yeah, it's when the disparity is too big. Don't be me wrong, 100%, you do need that production sales team. But if you're there on 100 grand a year and you know your podcast is making 30 mil a year and you're making 100 grand, yeah, 0.3% of the overall revenue, you're going to be like, look, as much as all that stuff is super essential, probably just going to figure it out with the other 99.7% of the revenue that I'm not Literally. currently making. Literally. Um, so... 100%, I think in the future, and I'd be very surprised if Barstool wasn't reconsidering. I would love to see the meeting where they're sitting there now being like, how do we make sure this doesn't happen again? Yeah. Like they are going to I'd be, be rejigging all their creator contracts. And I don't necessarily think they're going to do it in... Um, it, a lot of people would be like, how do we make sure this doesn't happen again? And they're putting in iron bar, non-complete nah. non-compete clause contracts. I don't think that's the way that they will tackle the issue, nor is it the way they should. This is very much an issue of, okay, how do we rejig our contracts and our relationships so that if a podcast does blow up, the creator wins more, and then we win more because the creator isn't being.
1: And, And it should. Like, contracts mean something, you know? Like, if you have a contract, like... That, that's there's a risk and reward element yeah. there and it needs to mean something. And I, I think this is something I've found quite frustrating in the past with, like, personal experiences or work experiences, whatever, where it's like, well, hang on, like, we agreed to this. Like, we <laughs> have to, like, this is what we agreed to. Like, this is what we do. But,
0: but you pinky promised.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Thing is... At the end of the day, when you're working in a creator industry or you're working in any sort of people industry, I'm sure, it is so important that if you're working with someone, both people want to be working together. Mm. And ultimately, you could have the most ironclad contract in the world. But if you've got two people that aren't in it, like it's just not going to work. So you can't hold people in contracts that they don't want to be in. The contract actually has to be something that really works for everyone yep. and almost yeah can consider situations where circumstances might change and like hmm. the fucking reality is this industry moves so fast things are happening all the time like stuff will change like As much as I think a year ago, I was like, you know what, Barstool's in the right here. Like, they signed the contract; they were paying the girls when they weren't making anything. That's the fucking deal. Like, the reality is, it's just not going to be a productive relationship if the girls didn't want to be doing it. Mm. So, like, you have to figure something out that actually works for everyone. You can't just like be stubborn and dig your heels in. It's like you can, but like I think. But we
0: signed a contract. No, yeah, you've got to you've got to make it a win-win scenario. in the creatives, it's got to be win-win. To be
1: to be clear, I am a yeah, and if you sign a contract, you sign a contract, like yeah. read the contract, make sure it's one that you're happy with. And that you've thought about the different situations. I think this is just such a lesson of like taking the longest view in the room. Alex a year ago probably had to like bite her tongue a little bit and was like, Oh, I know I could get more right now if I was doing this independently, but I'm going to play yeah. it. Right. The long, the long game it's worked out and she's in the clear and she's got the bag and she's doing clearly incredibly well.
0: Don't let short-term greed cloud your Seriously. long-term goals. Seriously,
1: I think it's, like, very difficult, especially when you're in an industry that moves does move yeah. really fast. Everything can and feel so up, transient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The come-up can be so quick that you're like, fuck, this could go away any second. Yep. I have to hold on to everything I've got right yep. now. It's not the case. I think if you want to be long-term successful, you have to be thinking long-term. Yep. Don't burn bridges. Be a good person. Do the right thing be smart it will work itself out i i, I don't know i'm also talking cuz of shit i'm going through right now but like i feel <laughs> like that's a mindset that like you really have to take you have yeah. to take it Yeah, otherwise definitely. you're going to feel like you're completely washed around with the tide no and literally
0: you look at anything i mean not only our don't pers- be with Sophia. not only our personal experiences but um you know, you look at all these examples from the industry, I think burning bridges just, it just it doesn't it's, work. It's never a good outcome. It it's just literally is never isn't a good outcome. Like so many, um, and you and I can think of a, uh, a very specific case example where short-term greed can, like we've had an experience with that, where a, a situation of short-term greed ultimately just tortures every single relationship that that person had. Um, and and puts it all in the mud.
1: And it doesn't work.
0: And it doesn't work either. It's never worth it. It's never worth it. Relationships, especially in an industry like the creatives where most people know everyone. Like this is like a niche enough industry, at least within Australia for us, where everyone knows everyone. Mm -hmm. Like if, if you do anything dodgy, the whole industry knows about it.
1: But the thing is that's hard is that it might work short term. You know, like trying to get a cheap win early yeah. on. It does sometimes work yeah. in the short term yeah. and that can be extremely difficult. Like I know that's something like I've really struggled yeah. with in the past year or so is I'm just like, but it's not fair. Like why? How is that fair? Like yeah. blah, blah, blah. Or you feel like you're not. Just be patient. Like that's all I would say is like, just be patient. Like do the right thing. Keep your integrity. It might take a little bit longer, but I promise you it will work out better.
0: It always does.
1: Don't be the Sophia.
0: No, don't be the Sophia.
1: Be the Alex. I do feel bad for her, though. I, just, I, d- I feel bad. She's probably young and just like a little bit silly and had the wrong people in her ear, which happens.
0: You talk about uh, You talk about learning a lesson. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that's a pretty heavy way to learn a lesson. Yeah, yeah no, obviously lesson. at the end of the day, very much as much as um, I do remember at the time we said how silly she was to act the way she did, and as much as we've, you know, kind of, you know, made some light hearted comments about the situation. Do genuinely hope she's okay. That is that is a huge mental burden. Debate. Yeah. Oh um, God. My God. And you never, know,
1: like who could have predicted that a year ago? Oh. You know, it's like, oh, you take the longest view in the room, blah, blah, blah. No one's, no one a year ago would have thought in one year, this girl's going to be getting a 60 I, mil Spotify deal. I
0: don't know if I agree. I the think the Joe it,
1: Rogan deal hadn't happened yet. No one was throwing that kind of money in podcasting.
0: You could have, you could have gotten some industry inside. I reckon you ask one person who knows Spotify, be like, what kind of numbers do you think you're talking to sign exclusivity? I don't, look, maybe not 60, but you're definitely talking in the tens of millions, I think was foreseeable. Anyway.
1: Also fucking great to see Spotify continuing to make big moves in podcasting. Yeah. I'm still confused. I'm like, Apple, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You had such a leg up. Everyone was listening to podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. And now, and you've literally, you've also just, I'm like, do you care? Maybe not. (sighs) They're making enough money off their 30% cut on yeah,
0: Epic. Yeah, Games. <laughs> <laughs> and that's but, a topic um, for another podcast.
1: <laughs> like, maybe they don't care, but I'm just like, damn, Spotify literally is just completely eating, eating the market for breakfast.
0: Yeah. Alrighty. I guess we've got one last topic to go, which is... Trisha Paytas.
1: Yeah, now backtrack me on this one because I wasn't listening to their podcast too much. I obviously saw it coming up. Okay, so. There's been a massive falling out between her and Ethan Klein. Yeah,
0: so Trisha Paytas and Ethan. um,
1: Why do you say her name so weird?
0: Trisha. Trisha? Trisha Paytas. Paytas. Trisha Paytas? I don't know. (laughs) Trisha and Ethan were long-time kind of uh, enemies and not even kind of. Like literally they would have some quite, vitriolic back and forward.
1: Um, Right, because I feel like literally a year ago when I went on YouTube, I was getting suggested titles about how much they hated each other. And then one day suddenly they're doing a podcast and I'm like, which, Which to
0: be fair, like Ethan actually, I believe started that back and forward, not intentionally on Trisha, but he made a video uh, that was just like Instagram versus reality, and was just generally highlighting how much people edit their photos. Right. Um. And and one of the examples he used was one of Trisha where she's very very done up, and then another one where it's like a different human being. Yep. Um. But actually, which wasn't a totally fair call out because Trisha actually is quite good at posting both her done up self and her not done up self. Um. So she doesn't really super fit that category. But anyway, long story short, they were longtime enemies. Trisha said a lot of awful things about Ethan and Hila, his wife. Mm -hmm. Um, Called them like bad parents, like awful names, like pretty bad stuff. Anyway, then uh, I I, I forget what kind of- Made them break bread in the first place, but eventually they decided to start a podcast together and called it Frenemies. Obviously, That's a 180 I've heard one. Enemies. Um, and also <laughs> around yeah. the same time, uh, Trisha started dating uh, Hila, Ethan's wife, uh, Hila's brother. Yes, so it's now it was this big incestuous circle of podcasts, gotcha, tension, anyway. Long story short. The podcast
1: um, was successful.
0: podcast was hugely successful, really, really successful. I don't know what uh, – I, I don't know exactly where it ranked, but it was very, very popular, millions of views. Um, and when they made the podcast, they uh, had an agreement where um, Tricia would receive 45% of the episode um, – Podcast revenue, Ethan would receive 55. They would split uh, sponsors, I believe, 50 50 down the middle. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Ethan got to keep all the revenue from the Clips Highlights channel. Yeah. Because his production company was high, Was running the whole thing. Literally, he was paying for all the employees, all the editing, the space, the the production gear, all that kind of stuff. Makes sense. It was a relatively fair deal. I don't think you can that say it was good. a totally unfair deal.
1: And in his 55%, he's paying everyone out of
0: that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. He's So he's covering everyone's salaries. He's covering the rent. He's covering, yep. which to be the fair, equipment. it was already paying for some of that for his own podcast, but whatever. The point is it wasn't a hugely unfair deal. They were having a podcast the other week and during the podcast, a segment came up answering questions from fans. Trisha was like, hate this podcast. It's awful. It sucks. Ethan was like, oh, well, like one of our new like producers we brought on suggested it. And like, you think it's pretty good. And she's like, nah, it's lazy. It's awful. Blah, 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 blah. was like, I don't like the segment. Um, and then that kind of ended up sparking like a much bigger discussion around like, you know, I don't get enough input. Like I want to do more of like this, this and this, but you guys make all the decisions. And Ethan was kind of like sitting there largely taking it. Um, and eventually Trisha kind of walked off and was like, I'm I'm done. And then two days later tweeted, like, I'm not going to do And the they posted anymore. that episode. They posted the episode. Yeah um and then 2 days later tweeted yep i'm like i'm done with frenemies not going to do it anymore and since then continue and ethan made i believe one video maybe two but i think just one kind of being like you know this is like just really sad like this this sucks yeah um and i do believe the majority of public opinion is very much on ethan's side and from what i've seen i would Definitely put myself in that mm-hmm. corner,
1: and the sure. reasons that she cited was because the economics of it didn't feel. Fair, she was like, or "Oh, she didn't yeah, feel but like she was getting enough control." Honestly,
0: it literally um, Trisha has. It's quite sad actually because Trisha was quite isolated. Definitely not in a good mental headspace, and it seemed like her friendship with Ethan and doing the podcast actually helped her quite a lot, but. She also, I think, has some very big self-destructive tendencies. And I think most people have recognized that. And this very much seemed like there wasn't really... It didn't really seem like there was a reason reason. It didn't really seem like there was something. She was like, no, 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 that's the thing I have a problem with. Mm-hmm. It was kind of just throwing everything at the wall and being like... And naming as many little things as she could. And I don't think she really cared about the revenue and also the revenue they would be making from the other streams versus just the clips channel which is the only real high like advantage Ethan had Is nothing, but apparently after that podcast, you know, because she was like, "Oh well, I'm paying for the, I'm paying for the people's salaries. I want more input in the podcast." Apparently, they did have a conversation. Ethan was like, "Okay, well, cool. You, you can hire a producer. Like, let's hire a producer that you want to get." And actually, gave her those chances before she decided to withdraw. Mm. Now, since then, she's put out like eighteen thousand different videos accusing Ethan of everything under the sun, claiming that she never got input. And there have been some really like bad examples that people have shown uh of her just like clearly gaslighting the situation so she'd say you know the oh that um that outfit we were wearing on the podcast when i quit she was like she was sitting there she's like i don't even know what this outfit is like who am i who am i supposed to be i hate this like you just dress because they dress up in an outfit every episode and literally ethan shows screenshots of him sending the outfit idea to trisha trisha being like oh my god that's my favorite movie ever i love that movie i can't wait for this And then on the episode, being like, "Who are these people? I hate this whole thing."
1: Is it beyond repair? I don't
0: know. I don't know. I. You know what makes it extra weird? Her husband is Ella's brother. Like they're intertwined now. Unless like a divorce happens, like that's a thing. They're together, and but the things they've said are kind of. Very hard to take back, more on Trisha's side than Ethan's. Mm. So
1: Trisha's really <sighs> gone through some wild iterations of her career.
0: She really has. And And I
1: feel like she's ultimately not gonna go
0: anywhere. Well, she's already gone somewhere like she's already achieved things I, I think but I, I think in a business sense she will achieve things and I think she's on a crazy like top 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 level of OnlyFans so I'm sure she's doing very okay Um, but in terms of her personal relationships it just seems like she's a very self-destructive person and it's kind of sad it, it, it actually it is really sad it's genuinely I, that seems to be the prevailing sentiment like people are angry at Trisha for like trying to gaslight the situation Um, In the way that she has, but I think also at the same time, people like this, this is sad. Like it was quite, it was really cool to see her go from being isolated and alone and angry at so many people um, to actually being kind of like friends. And then to watch her literally torch all that for nothing. Really, that's the, that's all there is to say on it. It's sad.
1: Damn, I feel like this conversation's like this whole podcast has been a lot about like relationships greed and relationships. And <laughs> well, like I don't think it's greed it with her. Get, yeah, how yeah. it can get messy.
0: That one is just, um, I think.
1: Guys, we will never.
0: Yeah. Yes.
1: <laughs> we will never part ways on this podcast.
0: It's <laughs> my revenue share. <laughs> My brother and
1: sister. We we're have not.
0: To we're not doing enough sponsorships to uh, have money tension. become a rift.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it does get messy. It's hard to see. I mean, I don't know. Are there any like real creative partnerships where you think there's never been any tension?
0: No, I'm sure there's always tension. But I think the only way the only way to ever do a creative partnership and not have there be tension is to have two identically equal people doing identical workloads and splitting exactly 50-50. Yeah. Like, it just has to be even, even, even. Like, you even saw with the Call Daddy stuff, right? Like, they were splitting, 50, they had the same deal, 50-50, but one of the girls was like, I'm doing all the work. Yeah. So, that created drama again. Like, it's very much, it's it's very hard avoid mm. and i think the mm. bigger the, the bigger the numbers get the bigger the drama is to avoid
1: 100 percent, guys thank you so much for listening watching to this week's episode of watch time we will see you next week bye hi i'm
0: daniel founder of pretty litter